Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. Welcome to the Heater Podcast. I'm Dan Lewig. He's Corey Peeper. As we break down another week of Major League Baseball and uh, lots of uh, interesting things to uh, see in the past week. First, uh, Mike Trout is human. Uh, definitely had his first uh, human week that is there. Uh, Jake DeGrom now has uh, a teammate who is uh, suffering from the same DeGrom-itis, if you want to say, from lack of run support. Uh, you have... Uh, some interesting uh, explosions of offense. Aaron Judge uh, hits home runs, and uh, you know, in the uh, Captain Obvious category, uh, to uh, Mitch Haniger uh, among the league leaders in, in home runs, fully back and healthy there. Uh, others going off on, on heaters that we'll talk about, and others not so much. Uh, and we have a bunch of uh, uh, bigger things to hot button issues that we'll break down from uh, a team it might be on the move, and it's not mine uh, <laughs> that's being talked about right now. ESPN uh, provides new uh, financial stability to the Major League Baseball that will impact more in the offseason when you start talking about uh, shared revenue and getting the new collective bargaining agreement done. Uh, we're going to take a look at uh, Corey's fantasy team that was as high as second place this yeah. week for the first time, uh, as well as an advanced stats tutorial, an advanced stats 101 brought to you by Corey Peeper. All and right. Of all the things that are brought by places, we can we would be remiss if we didn't say the Heater Podcast is brought to you by River Creek Popcorn. For all of your snacking needs, for baseball games and movies of choice, come hungry, leave happy. Uh, a busy and productive weekend out of the wagon. So I told you this, but uh, hashtag sponsor the podcast. WCCU is a bank in the area that is opening a new branch, and so they contacted us uh, a few months ago and... Wanted us to make four totes, which took me, I've made totes, but it's always been in the off season, not when I'm also helping customers. And my dad helped the customers basically. And I made the totes and I just continuously kept, I started the popcorn popper at about 10 and I don't think it stopped until about 340 because I just needed it to continuously keep going. So I had a chance to get ahead. So I would get going and I think, oh, I can make, I can put more of this in the tote and then someone would come and order three largest, which not complaining. That's great. Thank you for your, your business. But five and a half hours it took me to make these totes. And now I'll deliver them. And I said, sponsor the podcast. Hashtag sponsor the podcast, WCCU. There you go. Now uh, we, uh, we await with bated breath your phone call. That's right. Uh, as we uh, uh, take a peek at, uh, again, the, the things that pile up the most every week is, again, we're dealing with the Getting used to a 162 game season, getting used to uh, the and the Rays are in a what 37 games and 38 day stretch with everything, and so are other teams that are that are going through this. We haven't had this in a while, uh, and you're having the dings and dents and uh, uh, injured list that is taking place. Two New York Mets drop uh, like flies in back-to-back uh, in -back innings. Uh, uh, Michael Conforto uh, pulls up with a hamstring issue on his way to first. Uh, in the following inning, uh, Jeff McNeil, who was only at DH today, Interesting. had, a, had a, uh, a hamstring issue that pulled him out. Yeah, so that's two know. guys right there. They were left to one guy on their bench uh, and they before lost that game. Their big injury this week, we haven't mentioned. You mentioned him earlier. Jacob DeGrom didn't play this week, right? He's on the IL. He hit the IL with his side injury. So they think it's 
like more precautionary than massive, but when you're missing the best pitcher in the game for a week, that doesn't help you. What What's interesting is before this weekend, they despite they won, they rattled off seven yeah. straight wins. So they were great. It, it didn't impact the the standings that week, but we know a, a loss like that for any amount of time is going to eventually uh, tax a, a team. That's not something you can just easily replace. Let's talk about the big injury of the week, the one that. Hurt my fantasy team, hurt my heart, hurt both of our teams or our guys here. We both picked Corey Seager to win the NL MVP in the end, and he hadn't been amazing. He probably wasn't tracking for the MVP. He'd been good, 270, four home runs, great offense, right? But last night, Ross Detweiler was pitching up and in on him. Pitch got a little w- – so Seager started a swing, which you have to do, right? It's You have to start your swing. You can stop, but caught him on the top of the right hand. It looked terrible. I was actually watching that game at the time. It looked awful, but – there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Dave Roberts. overall. Yeah. Uh, when you think of what the worst case scenarios could be for that, yeah. uh, no surgery required, uh, but you're still missing like a, a month on that. You're going to miss a month. And then I would say after a month, you're maybe back to like gripping the bat. So it's probably more like six, six to eight weeks before we actually see Corey Seager. Oh, let's do the other Dodgers injury of the week. AJ Pollock. Here's like when you mentioned the injuries piling up, it's mostly a lot of them are hamstrings and obliques and quads. So AJ Pollock, what do you know? He's really injury prone too. He hit the IL this week with a hamstring. Also for the Dodgers, Edwin Rios, who we don't talk a whole lot about, but Edwin Rios would be a pretty highly regarded prospect on most teams, but on the Dodgers, he's just another guy. And he hit the IL this week with season ending sh- shoulder surgery, which is what prompted them to make a couple of off season or a couple of moves to bring in some new infielders, which we will also get to. Oh, let's talk about the COVID update of the week, shall we? New York uh, the coaching staff is dropping like flies. The New York coaching staff and then Glaber Torres. So that came out that he had both. His sh- no, I think he only got one shot. I think they got the Johnson & Johnson, I heard. He got his Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and he had COVID, and he tested positive again, and everybody sort of took a little step back and freaked out a little bit, but sounded like a lot of the people that got it were all in the same room because of a, a rain delay. I don't know if you saw that, but it sounded huh. like they, one person tested positive and had symptoms, and the other people test were all asymptomatic, but they were all in the same room with a rain delay. And then out west, on the other coast, it hit San Diego, where I think Fernando Tatis and Eric Hosmer are the two that tested positive. So Tatis did hit the IL. It wasn't his shoulder, but it was the COVID IL. And a couple other guys, I think Will Myers and Jerks and Profar are in the COVID tracing protocols again. So... A lot of weeks we remind people it's we're getting closer. Great news this week. We are if you're vaccinated, apparently you don't have to wear a mask anymore. So that's awesome. I love not having to wear a mask, but still here and we're still going to deal with it and baseball too. Yeah, there's still the uh, the lingering effects and things that are happening. I think five or six more teams uh, made it up to uh, uh, the enough percentage of players with uh, vaccines that they're able to go to relaxed uh uh, protocols uh, within it, so it's positive to see that number increasing. Oh, let's go to the re-injury of the week. So we've talked re-injuries before on here, and this is a big one too because the Diamondbacks are playing better than I thought they would, and Zach Gallen is their ace. But you remember he started the season on the injured list with an elbow thing, and this past week it was, quote, a minor sprain of one section of his UCL. So they're going to reassess in a couple of weeks. That one sounds concerning. Uh, it's already happened once. I I guess you can wait a couple weeks. You don't want it to turn into a Denelson Lamette thing where his arm needs surgery and you just keep refusing to get it and get it and he can only pitch two innings. So 
Don't be surprised if in a week or two we talk about Zach Gallon having to have, unfortunately, Tommy John surgery. That's a sad one. He was just coming back, looking strong as, as ever, and then you have now these things flaring up. And uh, I think at this time of year, that costs you not only this year, but next year as well. And we hope that one's okay. But you don't know. The, uh, the Diamondbacks had another injury. Christian Walker, again, another again, hit the aisle with an oblique strain. He had just gotten back from, I think it was an oblique the last time. So... So we're wrong for you. Um, CJ Cron, we haven't talked about the Rockies in a minute. CJ Cron, lower back strain, he hit the IL. And there's your Colorado Rockies. Uh, <laughs> Mention of the week. Of the- <laughs> Mention of the week. They're certainly not a positive. Have, I say, do we got a Pittsburgh Pirate, uh, Pittsburgh uh, positive this week? I'll, I'll think I don't on think that. I do. I, you have to think, of, you're going to start working on that right now. I'll keep talking over here. So Carson Kelly, before we leave the Diamondbacks, he hurt his toe this week. So they finally had to start playing Dalton Varsho at catcher. He. Carson Kelly hit the IL. Uh, Paul DeYoung of the St. Louis Cardinals, the shortstop there, had a left rib fracture. That sounds painful. I have broken a rib before. It hurts to breathe. So they sounded fairly optimistic about this, which must mean it's a hairline fracture because otherwise you're looking at a while with something like that. Uh, Let's keep it in St. Louis for the stupid injury of the week. Carlos Martinez hit the aisle with an ankle injury because he celebrated so hard after Jack Flaherty hit a home run. Did you happen to see that one? I didn't. He got he was celebrating so much that he rolled his ankle and hit the aisle because Jack Flaherty hit a home run. So good job, Jack Flaherty. You're a great pitcher, but Carlos Martinez, kind of dumb. Uh, yeah, that's a team that's been start, that's been rolling, uh, and they need guys to stay healthy and keep that going. But yeah, there's uh, uh, there is such a thing as too hard. And then the last one I got is Hunter Dozier is on the concussion IL. So there was a big collision in the Chicago White Sox-Kansas City Royals game earlier this week where Jose Abreu and Hunter Dozier collided. It looked really bad. Uh, Doesn't sound like it was as bad as it is. Dozier is in the concussion IL, so that's seven days minimum, and we'll see where it goes from there. But it looked like it could have been a lot worse. Oh, sorry, one more. Aaron Hicks hit the IL with a wrist injury. So Aaron Hicks, the outfielder for the Yankees. That one sounded weird, too, because it – they were going to delay having surgery, and manager Aaron Boone, right? Yeah, sorry. Aaron Boone said that they were going to see, they know that he tore a tendon in there, but they are hoping to avoid the surgery if possible and just give him some time off. So, once again, you, you don't know. These delaying things, it, it can work, but it can also just mean you're delaying the inevitable. I do have a, a Pittsburgh uh, a positive uh, for you. Okay, I'm listening. A uh, top 25 hitter in Major League Baseball, Brian Reynolds. I told you. I mentioned him a couple weeks ago, dude. I said he's good. He is uh, having an excellent year. He's already at 1.5 wins above replacement, a WRC plus of 143. And those are things that we'll talk about what that actually means uh, later on in the podcast. They did get – here's another one. I got another one for you quick. They did get a good – start out of Miguel, I believe it's Yahure, who was one of the guys that they actually got back in a trade. I think that was the Josh Pell trade. So you did something right in the offseason too. Well, before they get a big head, we'll move on. Uh, We have, uh, first off, we have to talk as we start to, uh, and we're going to have hot off the presses here, but if we're going to do hot off the presses, we also need to talk about the guy who's always uh, just breaking uh, numbers and doing crazy things, and that's uh, uh, the Japanese Babe Ruth, Shohei Otani, uh, with a two-run walk-off homer yesterday. He is tied for the Major League lead uh, in home runs. Uh, they have pushed back his start 
uh, pitching start. Uh, just was uh, it was just listed as fatigue, and it was nothing. Again, no, no blisters, no major issues. It was just something that Joe Madden observed as he was watching and felt like he was just a little bit. Again, for everything that he's doing, they're at least being smart to make sure to give him the appropriate rest for everything that that they're that he's attempting to do in this historic season. So it was his. He had his best start of the season this week, where I think he only walked one guy and struck out ten. Which, if Shohei Otani's going to start doing that, like just start naming the MVP award after him because it's going to be a lot of them. And I'm not sure if it was that game or the game before that, where after he got done starting to keep his bat in the lineup, they moved him to right field, which yep. is also amazing. When you are athletic enough that you can DH pitch, and if you need to, just you know go play right field. That that's incredible. So again, I mentioned it before, so it's not news, but three names of the top four that have the uh, major league lead in home runs you you would expect. If you had said at the beginning of the year, at uh, about a quarter way through the season, here's your uh, MLB home run leaders. If I'd say Ronald Acuna, yes, Acuna, sorry, uh, and Aaron Judge, sure, and Shohei Otani, mm, sure, uh, Mitch Haniger, nope, nope, that's no. that's the one that he is out to a uh, uh, to a torrid uh, start overall. Uh, and and it's nice to see uh, what uh, what he's doing at this point. We don't expect that to last, but this is a thirty homer bat. So uh, if again for fantasy wise, uh, you can if, who are you buying as far as uh, starts to believe or things to look at or guys to try to trade for a, a quarter of the way in? Who are you selling high? Who are you trying to buy? Uh, Mitch Haniger is one that I would buy. He ha- he's always had thirty home run uh, capability. I believe he has one thirty home run season that he's already had at this point. Uh, that is one that I would uh, try to uh, snag on a uh, on a team, but uh, if you're looking for stolen bases like Corey is, that's mm-hmm. not going to be him at this point. No, no, no stolen bases out of Mitch Haniger here, but we'll get to my team in a little bit here. Well, uh, let's talk hot, uh, hot off the the presses. Let's uh, go with uh, let's talk Oakland. Yeah, or maybe not Oakland, but for now Oakland. It was announced, I think Monday. Jeff Passan announced it that there is legit talk that. The Oakland A's are going to start exploring relocating because they cannot get their proposed new stadium approved by the politicians within Oakland. So I think it's $12 billion is what they're asking for, which that's a huge commitment, right? And it sounded like at least most likely was they follow another Oakland team, the Oakland Raiders, and head out to Vegas. Comments? Yeah, the... uh this has traction because this is an area that, and again, no one has to by any means, but this is an area that doesn't want to pay the, the cost for professional sports. Uh, we have seen Golden State uh, left the, the longest one, then now the Raiders uh, to Vegas, and Oakland looks, the, the A's look to be the next team to do that. Uh, Las Vegas is an intriguing one, but we'll talk. Uh, there's an article that came out this week, five best locations. I'll get your thoughts on that a little later. I have my top three, so we'll see if there are any of them are on there. Yeah. Now let's talk. Oh, let's talk about the first ballot Hall of Famer, Albert Pujols. So we all wanted to know: Is he done? Is he going to play anymore? And he's not done. He's chasing a ring. He signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers for I'm pretty sure the base minimum salary, and the Angels still have to pay him his thirty million. So. Here's what I would say about Albert Pujols. Congratulations. With the injuries that Dodgers have had, you might actually play more than I thought you would. And even with all the injuries, the Dodgers are still as likely as anyone to win the World Series. I think we can both agree on that. So, and you don't have to move your family, right? I think that's a big part of this is... At this stage. You don't want to move... He might 
you know, St. Louis said they were interested, and it certainly would have been awesome. It would be a great story to see him go back, but he's got a family that's already living in that area. So and ring chasing. Yeah. I mean, this this makes a ton of sense. Uh, as far as uh, going at depth, uh, Yoshi Susugo was uh, DFA'd by the Tampa Bay Rays uh, and then picked up by the uh, Dodgers as well. So here's someone who first, third, and outfield uh, capability uh, for them. It never, it just hasn't materialized, you know, hit by bad luck and all this. Here's a guy coming over from uh, Japan that uh, has uh, loads of potential, uh, but uh, you have the pandemic hits. Uh, and then the start here, it just it hasn't fully materialized. Uh, he hasn't been able to adapt to the uh, to the uh, high fastball uh, miles per hour with with that, and and so maybe over here he can he can catch it and uh, a less of a role. Maybe pressing in your original spot, maybe you can relax a little bit more in a new setting and with less uh, less pressure in that regard. Uh, so you have those two things going on, and then we should also mention David Price is expected to return this week. Yeah, they're getting back. You actually, talking about Satsugo, you got my first The Heat Is On player later on. So I said, it's two years ago, it was two years, 12 million, and it's only 77 games. But last year was a 98 weighted runs created plus, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But this year, it's a pathetic 40 because last year he walked and struck out, and this year it's just a lot of strikeouts. So I thought maybe he was done. It's good to see Satsugo get another, at least one more chance, but this is it. Like, if you don't work out with the Dodgers, it's back to Japan. So, absolutely. Uh, one more trade of the week. Your team, the Los An- or the Tampa Bay Rays, <laughs> traded Hunter Strickland to the Los Angeles Angels. 16 innings, 16 Ks, a 169 ERA, and a 125 whip. Has definitely recouped some of his value after some really tough years with Seattle, Washington, the Mets. His last sub-5 ERA before this year was 2018 when it was 397 with San Francisco. But your team's getting a lot of players back, it sounds like, from injury, and he was out of minor league options. It's an uh, an intriguing one. I was curious. He was one of the non-roster uh, signees in the offseason that I, I liked. I'm like, here's someone who still has potential. You, ne- you never know with, with bullpen guys. It can uh, be bad for a year or two and all of a sudden come back to what they what they were. It's uh, just how that works. But he's been solid for them so far. I'm curious that, that, to see the trade, but eventually a roster crunch was going to be uh, taking place within it, so we'll see how that goes. But definitely a good add for the uh, the Angels with their bullpen needs. And last but not least for hot off the presses, we have ESPN signing their big extension to keep Sunday night baseball and some wild card playoff games. Yeah, seven year contract extension gives you financial stability, you know, and and security overall, and that will matter usually either right before or right after you see these types of deals when collective bargaining bargaining agreements happen. Uh, and so that is going to obviously uh, play a role uh, in this uh, and a positive step as far as uh, you, uh, however large the pie is makes it that much easier to try to split that pie. Uh, so the more that's there, the easier it is for those neg- negotiations. But we'll save that, all that talk for the offseason. Yeah, it's going to be a busy offseason of talking exciting things like collective bargaining. Yay. Woot, woot. Well, how about we jump into uh, 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 on a heater? Okay, let's start with the number one guy on my list, and that is Garrett Cole. This is another guy. I think he's good. Yeah, this, I was going to say, this is another guy. I don't know if we give him enough credit for how unbelievably dominant he is. Uh, 78 strikeouts to three walks we're at this season. 56 strikeouts in a row right now with zero walks is the longest streak since 1893. Now we're going to talk about the next guy in a second who actually is currently beating beat that, but Garrett Cole is still going, so... Uh, 
Second fastest ever this week. He became to 1,500 strikeouts in his 212th game behind only Randy Johnson. Uh, the only knock on Cole the last few years was the home run, right? And this yep. year, it's the lowest home run rate since Pittsburgh, and that was PNC Park. So I think the new baseball's probably helping him with that. Especially in, in that home in ballpark. Yankee Stadium, right? I think we've kind of seen the new baseball is you can hit. I saw a few balls this week. I thought, well, that's gone, and it dies out at the warning track. It just doesn't carry as far, which is what it's designed to do, and it, it's not really working for it the way Rob wanted it to because it's not balls in play. It's just flyouts, but... I'll say this about Garrett Cole. He now has the second highest graded changeup in the game. So that means he has three plus pitches because it was always the fastball and the slider. And right now, the that only person who has, has a higher a difference maker, higher yeah. graded changeup is John Means. So if you have three pitches that are plus plus like that, it that's how you get 78 strikeouts to three walks. That's why I've been excited for Tyler Glass now this year. Once he got that third pitch, it changes everything. And Garrett Cole, I. Said it all along. When he first signed that contract, I said before he even pitched an inning with the, the Yankees. First year, just because from pressure, everything else, it's just not going to be what you want it to be because also you can't replicate the Cy Young year that he had. Uh, that was number one. You're coming off that, which is always going to be a bit of a letdown no matter what. Uh, and then second year, that he was going to tear the cover off the thing. And that's exactly how everything has has gone. Uh, and uh, the Yankees, no one questioned that they got their ace other than impatient Yankee fans in that uh, pandemic-shortened uh, season. Yeah. best part about Greer Cole for last year was that he didn't have to deal with those fans in the stadium because if any time he would have given up a yeah. home run, he'd have heard it as Francisco Lindor did, but he is bouncing back in the Mets. Like you said, we're winning, but not this last couple of days. Let's talk to the next guy, Corbin Burns. He did test positive for COVID-19. We officially didn't know that, but came back Thursday for a day game against the Cardinals who threw out Jack Flaherty and what was an awesome game. And he was one who beat uh, Garrett Cole's record. So most strikeouts to start a season at 57 to nothing to start the season. And then most strikeouts between walks since 1893. I think he got to 58 strikeouts to no walks before he finally walked some guys. So Garrett Cole's is still going. Corbin Burns' is not, so you'd expect Garrett Cole, if he can get three strikeouts to no walks in his next start, to pass that. But Corbin Burns definitely probably a step below Jacob DeGrom, but Jacob DeGrom's hurt right now, but definitely looking like a good choice for your Cy Young. I I heard that there's some sort of local podcaster who uh, had had high hopes for him this year. He's working out well. This next one can be fast. Kyle Tucker, we mentioned, I think, just last week, and the heat is on, and I said, I have absolutely no concerns. And we were right, so this – Last week at this time, he was hitting 160, and then in the last seven days since we last talked, he went 12 for 25 with four home runs, and suddenly his season average is right back to 230. It's a a nice uh, bump up to get things more in in line. Here's a guy we haven't talked about a lot. He is on my fantasy team also, is Max Muncy. He is leading the majors in walks for this season, but the month of May has really started to show what Max Muncy can do, which is both walks and home runs. In the middle of this week, he had a three-game stretch where he hit a home run every day and has five in the month of May after having three in all of April. This last week, he was eight for 16 with three home runs, and when you take as many walks as he has, it's extremely valuable to your team winning, which is how he gets a 160 runs created plus, which we'll get to in a little bit, and he's at a 951 OPS, which is awesome. That means he's getting on base. When you get on base that much, it's how you run OPSs like that. I'll jump in with uh, giving uh, Aaron Judge uh, his due from the weekend. He had uh, four home runs in three games, I think is what it was. Now it's against Baltimore, who he always crushes. Uh, so that's a, a big a big part of it. And then also throwing in Eduardo Escobar had a seven RBI uh, game. 
uh, over the the weekend too. So anytime you're getting into like seven RBIs, when you're when you're scoring a touchdown in baseball, you're doing something right. My last one is kind of a cheating one. There's two here. So the first Uber prospects of the season got the call on Thursday for Seattle. Yeah. So Jared Kelnick, we heard early in the week was going to get called up, and their team almost got no hit that opening night by Zach Blesak, but then. Kelnick showed all what the hype is on Friday night. He went three for four. He had a three-run home run for his first hit, and he had two doubles. And did you have you got seen the, Kelnick got the play? Stand and go. Have you seen him play? The uh, I saw the diving catch that took yeah. place. And, I, yeah, the comparisons that I see a lot are Bryce Harper because of that smooth lefty swing, and I think it's a good one. You could easily see him going like twenty homers, fifteen steals the rest of the season, and. They actually made a second big promotion that same night. Logan Gilbert is probably the biggest pitching prospect we've seen this year. The Royals recalled Daniel Lynch, but the Mariners moved Logan Gilbert up. He started Thursday night. He looked kind of nervous is what I would say. He looked nervous. He needed to settle down a little bit. Logan Gilbert doesn't have the massive Shane McClanahan 100-mile-an-hour fastball or the Michael Kopech fastball. His is kind of Zach Greinke-like where he's going to throw probably low 90s, but he's a control artist. And... It wasn't there the first night, but that, that's an interesting one, too, to watch. Mariners are pushing their guys ahead. There, uh, You have veterans that are rounding into form and doing their part. You have high-end prospects that are coming up and are expected to do something this year. All the scouts, I think Jeff Passan was the one who was reporting that people expect Kellenic, uh to be very good this year. In fact, and he's just starting, just had his first couple of games, but he's the rookie of the year favorite at this point in the American League. That's how scouts are viewing it already. Uh, at this point, and uh, yeah, I mentioned that the standing O uh, teammates had to push him out there. He didn't realize what was going on. Uh, Everybody's so. in Seattle has been waiting for Jared yeah. Kelnick, and everybody in New York has been dreading this day. So sorry, Way Mets to fans. Go, Robinson Cano. Sorry, Mets fans. Uh, let's go to the heat is on. Unless you have any more no, on the heaters, the heat is on. So we already, I already mentioned Sotsugo. So we got to talk about. I I try not to double up, but we have to talk about Luis Castillo again. Another game with eight earned runs. Obligatory mention that he was at Coors Field that game, but this has been bad all year. So the strikeouts per nine are way down to a new low for his career. I used StatCast to look at how the individual pitches were doing, and the changeup is still effective, but last season that's a whiff rate of 40%, meaning he threw it up there and four out of ten times people swung and missed. This season it's 26. Then the four-seamer is just getting lit up. Uh, last season that had an expected batting average of 213. This season it's 338, the expected batting average. So I don't know what's going on there. The sinker's worse. He's thrown 135 sinkers, which is his third most effective pitch, and batters are hitting 538 against his sinker. The walks are actually lower than they've been, the second lowest they've ever been. So what's happening to make it bad? Well, it's not as bad as this, which is supported by the FIP and the XERA, which I'm going to talk about in a minute here, but a 380 BABIP and a 51% strand rate is that's really unlucky and that should normalize a bit. But for a guy that we have both said on this podcast, we thought could pitch to like a low threes area. This is looking more like a low fours to upper four skill set, at least right now. I'm trying to pull up some of his uh, stat cast info just to see what his expected uh, data is supposed to be. It's you're going to see things that are. I said, right now he has a 771 ERA. Now, the XERA is going to be lower, but it's not the ERAs that we've seen in the past. That that StatCast page has a lot of blue on it. I looked at it a couple days ago. There's a lot of blue on that page. That's not what you want to see. No, there is not. Well, So I'm pulling up his uh, uh, information here, and just from 
how he's being hit and what they're expecting things to be. Uh, nothing looks good right now. That's that's the answer. Now he's not because uh, the ERA of seven. It's not that bad. His expected ERA uh, is is four point seven seven, which still is a good two runs over where he should be. So no, he's not seven level bad, but he ain't good either. Let's talk about another guy who has looked bad, and we've mentioned him on this podcast before, and that's Blake Snell. So I'll, here's my first sentence. Nothing ever comes easy for him, ever. July 21st, 2019, his last guy he made, time he made it through six innings. Let that sink in. That's two years ago. The stuff is still there. He still strikes out 31% of the batters he faced, which is basically what he's done the last four seasons. But like you said, he nibbles, and it hurts him more than ever. His walk problem, he's always had a mini walk problem, but that's like three per nine innings. Right now, it's over six. And the only really unlucky underlying number is he's giving up home runs at a 23% clip for his fly balls, which is unlucky. That, that'll, that'll normalize. But I think we just need to realize with Snell that 2018 is the outlier, right? He's an upper yes. threes, low fours ERA who puts too many men on base until the last month or so where suddenly he's pitched well. This is, Blake, is there a difference between Blake Snell and Robbie Ray? He's... He's not at that level of control issues, but he's not that far They're away. They're not that different. Yeah. Uh, there's. Uh, he's a good Robbie Ray. We've yeah. seen bad Robbie Ray. Until the last uh, month. I've I've been amazed by how good Robbie Ray's been the last month. I already mentioned that, so I the, ate some crow already. I, but Blake Snell, he just can't get out of his own headspace. That, that's, he's is his own worst. It's not the batter. Whoever's, it's him. He's got the stuff to take down any batter. doesn't matter who. Uh, but because he nibbles, because he, he pitches the way he does, uh, he is one of the guys that does get hit hard by the third time through the order penalty. Uh, and when he gets to that point, again, the Rays knew within this, to they, you know, they cut him early in games. Uh, and everyone wanted to rail on the Rays for doing this. Like, look at how they, uh, they're they not good for pitchers. Everyone was, was railing on them for, look how they're going to, it's just cheap moves, it's to uh, prevent arbitration, it's uh, suppressing players' performance, blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. It's Blake Snell. And when I've been seeing him pulled before the, before the end of the fifth in multiple games, by the manager, I have enjoyed Twitter trolling everything with uh, like Kevin Cash smiles every time awesome. uh, that it happens with gifts of Kevin Cash smiling uh, because it finally you're seeing, no, it wasn't him. There's a reason why he's pulled within this, especially with his nibbling capacity. So he's still in his own way. He's still a good pitcher. Would I want him on my in my starting rotation? Yeah, but I'd want to make sure I had my long, uh, long reliever or multi-inning reliever available on his starts. I would agree with all of that. Let's go to a couple couple hitters here. We already mentioned Satsugo, but okay. So before I get to this one, we got to explain triple slash lines. So triple slash lines start batting average, then on base percentage, then slugging. So batting average, how well you're doing at actually hitting the ball, on base percentage, adding in walks, and then slugging takes into account hitting for power. So I'm not even going to tell you the name. Ready? If I told you this player had two hits this month and had nine all season, we would assume he's been very cold, right? Yep. Okay. Listen to this triple slash line for the season. A 125 average, a 373 on base percentage, and a 319 slugging percentage. That's nuts. Now, it's even more insane in the month of May. Ready for this one? A 118 batting average, a 529 on base percentage, and a 471 slugging. For the season, he is 9 for 72, with four of those hits being home runs. But he's drawn 29 walks. 
for the month of May, he is two for 17 with both hits being home runs and 16 walks. Any guesses? It's weird with the, without the power being there. Like, or like the, the, it's no other, like even doubles or anything else. It, it's so weird. Uh, that type of triple slash line. I, I can't even guess. So his previous career high walk percentage was 17 with that being his one season in Milwaukee. This season it's at 28. This is Yasmani Grandal. Ooh. His last fun number is he has a 114 Babbitt for the season and a zero so far in the month of May. A zero. So I'll say this. I'm not sure if he's cold. I'm not sure if he's hot. Like he's not getting hits to drop in. If you're getting on base at that level, it's insane, right? A 529 on base percentage for a month. That's hot, right? But you're just not getting balls to land in for play. So I'm putting you on the heat is on Yasmani Grandal, but you're doing your job of getting on base, I guess. Let's do a blend with this one because we talked about Grandal getting on base, which is good. And so uh, uh, we can add this team to the uh, uh, to our finished uh, heater uh, and just put it together. Uh, the White Sox uh, article was out, and this could also go into hot button issues too. But White Sox article out of being the most uh, fascinating uh, team and best team in uh, Major League Baseball right now. Uh, thoughts on where the uh, where the White Sox stand? Uh, this week in, in Major League Baseball. I think I picked him to make the World Series, so I'm glad to hear that they're doing that. And, you know, it's – Tony LaRusso has been bad. Tony LaRusso. Like, yeah. it's, not, it's been a concern, and we thought that. It's amazing that they're winning with losing both Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. That's what's been amazing. But Tim Anderson looks amazing at the top of their lineup. Nick Madrigal's doing exactly what I thought he would. Abreu's been kind of cold. Grandal's been kind of cold. But it finally, because of all the injuries, he's finally having to play Andrew Vaughn, and your Mercedes has still been raking for him. So the the offense is going to be fine, and they're pitching. Giolito has been okay. Rodon's been awesome. Cease has been great lately. Lance Lynn. So I'm not surprised that they're good. I'm surprised maybe that they're so much better than a team like some of those other teams in the East, such as the Royals. I thought the Royals would be good. They've been pretty terrible the month of May after having a good April and the twins have been awful all season and the Indians. I don't know about the Indians, man. I, their, their offense is so weird and their pitching is good enough and they find ways to win, but it's such a weird team that I don't think any of these teams, like I still think the Royals could be good enough to finish second, but I don't think anybody's going to compete really with the white Sox in the AL central. White Sox are definitely making the push to be the team in the uh, in the AL Central, if not in the AL period. Uh, and the Cleveland is doing what they normally do. They they rely on beating up on terrible teams, and they do it well. Uh, I guess they're twenty one and seventeen right now, but their win loss record against teams greater than five hundred, they're eight and thirteen. Yeah. Which, if you notice, even throughout their better years, that was always the case. They could beat up on the teams at the bottom of their division and against the teams in other bottoms of divisions. But they weren't actually that good against uh, contending teams, and that would always bear itself out uh, over the seasons. Uh, the and uh, if we're going to talk AL Central, let's talk Minnesota here as we talk about teams that are like uh, supremely cold. Uh, you have uh, Minnesota here, like thirteen and twenty-five. They're two and eight in their last ten games. Uh, negative twenty run differential. Uh, they're. Record says again they putting in here what the expected uh, win loss record MLB.com by the way has uh, I'm impressed with that 
Uh, they added that stat in nice. here as far as like when you see like the, the run differentials and what things should be, uh, and, and also strength of schedule and putting that into what's the wh- where should a team be right now based upon their numbers. Uh, and so Minnesota's thirteen and twenty-five. Uh, they should be according to this seventeen and twenty-one, which is closer to to five hundred. They're in the middle of a free free for all. They are getting crushed by uh, teams above five hundred. They're six and sixteen. Ooh, that's so bad. That's, that's when you're you're unlucky. You're also not beating good teams, uh, and you're in the middle of a free free for all. All those numbers that are being thrown at you comes to the number one question, the only question that matters. Again, they're almost one win per every two losses in a three-game series. They're winning one and losing two. They are slow. That type of ground is being lost with every series. At 13-25, and 25, is Minnesota done? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a huge Minnesota guy in the first place. Again, I didn't pick them to make it, but are they done? They need... Some of their guys, they need like Alex Kirilov to get healthy. They need Byron Buxton back. And <laughs> Miguel Sano, right? We mentioned Miguel Sano. He's as cold as anyone in baseball. He's currently hitting 127. Could he have a week this week where he hits six home runs? Sure. That that could happen. They, they need some of their streaky hitters to have a streak. And <laughs> done, like, do I think they're going to finish as – I think they currently have the worst record in all of baseball, if I'm not mistaken. Do I think that's going to happen? No, they're not going to have the worst record in all of baseball – I think that they can get back to 500, but the weird one, I've been, did you watch any of Kenta Maeda's starts lately? We mentioned him a few weeks ago as being cold and he had a couple of good ones, but his slider looks way off. And when you only have right now, they have Jose Barrios who's pitched great. Pineda has been okay. And then we thought Maeda would be fine, right? Just locked in there. And it's been, eh, and Jay Happ is kind of, eh, and Matt Shoemaker is kind of, eh, and their bullpen has been, Really bad. Alex Colomay has been bad. Taylor Rogers, once they moved him into the closer role, has been kind of bad. And Hansel Robles has been kind of okay. But it kind of reminds me of the Phillies from last year, which is not a good sign because that team should have won more games too. And their bullpen blew them a lot of games. Here's where the problem is being unlucky matters. Uh, for all those things, if you were what they were expected to be, if they were 17-21, and 21, you feel a little more confident of time to try to, to to figure this out. You're close to 500. You're not that far off, but at 13 and 25, uh, there's you need to win a lot. You need to win. And, you have a, you need to have a seven win week. Yeah, you need to have yeah. You, you need to go on a heater in order to put. You need to do an Oakland Athletics. Uh, that's exactly what they what they need. And the problem is, in order to string those types of things together, you need people like you need sliders to be on. You need these things to be figured out. You need guys for uh, like. Going, there's more question marks there than there are answers in order to go on that type of run. I, I don't see them coming uh, coming back from this. Uh, again, when you see like the different numbers, like I said, six and sixteen versus uh, teams greater than five hundred, uh, the the offense overall has not been good, uh, and pitching hasn't been that much better. Uh, so it, it's a it's a bad combo of everything and. You dig too big of a hole, it's too hard to climb out. Yeah, they, they've got a big hole to start working on there. I got another Indians player for you. Um, yeah. The heat is on. Let's talk Eddie Rosario, twins slash Indians player. Yeah, He is one for 18 this past week with one RBI. For the season, he is at 208. He has three home runs and 20 RBIs and five steals. The steals are surprising because the last full seasons he stole three, eight, and nine, but 
when you look at the stack ass data on him, it is really concerning. Like, and there's a lot of downward trends here that I don't think I've sort of just ignored. His average has dropped every year from 2017 till now. He hasn't run a BABIP over 275 since 2018, and he's currently at 237. And he doesn't look particularly unlucky. So I don't quite know what's going on with Eddie Rosario, but I that's part of the problem the Indians are going to have is to catch a team like the White Sox for any of these teams is going to be really hard. So you're basically fighting for a wild card, and like the AL East and the AL West are better than the AL Central at this point, which is weird because it was different last season. As good as Cleveland is with pitching and and developing pitching, they are equally as terrible at hitting. Uh, they had Francisco Lindor, and they had and still have Jose uh, Ramirez. That's it. Uh, they have not been able to, to pull from trades, from free agents, anything. None of that has worked out. Uh, and you think of some of the bigger moves they have made and, and uh, players they have traded uh, and moved on from, none of, the, none of that has developed into any sort of like offensive building blocks uh, to use with this team. Uh, and so that's when you see a team teetering on the edge. When you when you have to trade away star talent because you can't afford to keep them, you have to find a way to get sustainable talent back. And that hasn't been happening for a number of moves, which is why Cleveland's at this interesting crossroads uh, of a franchise. They need to figure out something there before they truly become irrelevant. Uh, when we come back, uh, uh, we will be taking a peek at... Uh, uh, a few different uh, things that are coming up. The Giolito adjustment, an article taking place uh, this past week. Uh, an ex-commish weighs in on the MLB changes. There's a first peek at the Field of Dreams uh, stadium for that coming up in, in August. Uh, and why the Tigers rebuild is a disaster. All that coming up in just a moment. Cut my egg. Your eggs are cut, sir. Cut my milk. I can't, sir. It's liquid. Imbecile. You, bring me the Wall Street Journal. You two, fight to the death. You are a madman. I want to party with you, cowboy. Now, you kids with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima, hula hoops, and Pac-Man video games, don't you see people today have attention spans that can only be measured in nanoseconds? <laughs> be honest with you, I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Fulton fan. Yes! That's awesome. Well, as we uh, take a look at uh, hot-button issues, as we look at uh, some of the best articles around Major League Baseball this week, there's actually has been uh, a lot of articles that I found fascinating uh, this week for a whole host of, of different topics. I know I mentioned it with uh, the White Sox. Let's quickly start there. ESPN has a a big article up there about why uh, the White Sox are the most interesting and best team uh, in Major League Baseball. Let's go to that first half of it. Would you say at this stage in the game, are the White Sox the most interesting team in Major League Baseball? Probably. They're the team that's among the best teams in baseball that changed their manager from last season, even though they made the playoffs. And everybody's going to have a thoughts about Tony La Russa, whether or not he deserved that job. I don't overly think he did. I, but is he winning games? Yeah. Do I think it's because of him? No, it seems more like it's in spite of him, but they're getting pretty good pitching. They, they made the big trade, right? To get Lance Lynn. So it's a team that seems like they want to win. 
and Tony Larusa hasn't ruined it to the extent that he could have. But yeah, I, I'm trying to think of what other team would be the second most interesting. The Padres, I suppose, but. Theirs is more yeah. like just exciting more than interesting, I guess. You have some of those now. Some of them are on the IL, but the, some of those players on the White Sox, that style of uh, energetic and uh, interesting uh, to watch. Uh, their expected uh, win-loss record, by the way, uh, is actually – so they already have baseball's best record. It should be even a little bit better. They're 24-15. and 15. This says they should be 26-13. and 13. Uh, oh. So they are not overperforming at this stage, and it is because of – Yes, of offense, they have one of the best offenses going, but they have only given up 139 runs pitching-wise. There's no one that's even close in the American League. Uh, Cleveland, I guess, at 143, so I guess that is somewhat close, four runs there. But outside of those two, everyone's over 10 runs away. So the pitching is, is, is driving it. Bullpen's been very good. The bullpen, they have a lot of guys who can, like, they've basically turned Michael Kopech into an amazing follower type. And someday he's going to go back to the starter and he's going to be amazing. But Kopech's been great down there. He comes out, throws hard. Garrett Crochet has been great down there. You remember him? He was the first round pick last year who we saw. He has a .84 ERA. Aaron Bummer, still good. Uh, Jose Ruiz. And then obviously they saw Liam Hendricks. So what I've say is they put a lot of money into their bullpen and, or a lot of, I shouldn't say money because Liam Hendricks is the only big signing, but they put a lot of, thought into their bullpen with all these really hard throwing guys like Kopech and Crochet and they're getting a lot of use out of them and Lance Lynn's been great and keep going Lucas Giolito you had that actually he's been kind of weird he had that blow up start against Boston and some of the other teams have been he's got a, the highest ERA on that team at 497 yeah, so he's been a little erratic yeah that's a good word for it erratic yeah, I still don't have a whole lot of concerns that Lucas Giolito's not good 538 did an article on him this week on the Lucas Giolito delivery and the changes from 2018 uh, to 2020 and now moving forward. Uh, they're calling it the Giolito adjustment of going to a shorter delivery, a mechanical a switch in his mechanics uh, that led to always had good stuff but could never put it all together. This mechanic uh, shift allowing him to shorter delivery uh, helped his control uh, and it has changed uh, him into a Cy Young uh, candidate pitcher. Uh, that shorter release, uh, they're saying others have followed suit since then from uh, Brandon Woodruff, Jordan Hicks, Shane Bieber, and Joe Musgrove. Uh, are you buying the Giolito adjustment uh, as like, players who have immense talent that are finding the right mechanical tweak, and this being one that is uh, a shorter release point, is proving to be very effective? You said 2018 was the year he did it, right? Yep. So 2018 was his second year with the White Sox after he... The White Sox took advantage of the Nationals in a trade for Adam Eaton, and he came to the White Sox, and he led the league in walks that year and earned runs and looked terrible. And the next year, he looked great, right? And 2019, 2020, he looked awesome. And he was my pick to win the Cy Young Award this year. He isn't going to do that the way he's pitching right now, but do I doubt that Lucas G? He needed to make a change. I don't know what it was. He was an extremely highly regarded prospect with the Nationals, and it was a big surprise when they traded him for Adam Eaton. But it didn't seem to be working. It didn't seem to be working. I believe he went to his high school coach, who is now the White Sox pitching coach, and that was the change they told him, and it obviously worked for him. And I've, I've heard Brandon Woodruff mention that he's doing that same thing, and Brandon Woodruff looks great. So I'm sure it just cuts down on moving parts, right? It's the same thing in a swing. It's you don't yep, want so yep. many moving parts that it's hard to get the bat to the ball. Well, pitching, it's the more moving parts you have, the more you have, it's harder to repeat your delivery. And repeating your delivery is the key to success in baseball. 
Well, let's take a look at, uh, uh, we like to talk free agency uh, in, uh, in the offseason uh, for this. Well, let's talk about, a, instead of a player, a uh, batter, or a pitcher, uh, let's uh, let's talk teams. Uh, specifically, the Oakland Athletics are a free agent uh, coming up here soon. Uh, and, uh, again, Major League Baseball gave them the okay to start uh, checking things out. If this big, and again, a $12 billion deal uh, for a, a full uh, renovation, not only for the stadium, but a full development deal. There's so many hurdles to make something of that magnitude work in an area that does not believe in spending big bucks on on a team. Uh, I don't see that actually coming to fruition, which is why you're having these things leaking out into the media and giving the full public authorization to to do so. Here's uh, ESPN had an article on five uh, five locations uh, for a potential relocation of the Oakland. Oakland A's. I'm going to give you the five uh, cities, and then you tell me if they fit the three that you had in mind. So Austin, Texas is one. Portland, Oregon. Nashville, Tennessee. Las Vegas, Nevada. And Charlotte, North Carolina. Two of the ones that I was thinking of are on there. So so Vegas makes a ton of sense, right? Because you don't have to relocate. If you move them too far out of the West, you have to realign the divisions. Correct. Right. You have to keep them in that area. So was it Portland you mentioned first? Portland that that would make sense because you keep them in that West coast. Coast. Um, Charlotte would not. Charlotte. Would Nashville. I, Nashville is one of the teams I was considering just because it's such like they support They're the Titans so it. well. They yep. they have a Triple A team. I think the Brewers actually are there again now. They didn't used to be, but they were for a while. Now they're back there, and it seems like an t- area that is ready for it would crave that type of. Uh, market so but then you'd have to realign baseball because that you can't have a nashville team playing on the west so that would require a realignment the other one i was thinking of is we don't it's sort of close to austin so i'll I'll take a half credit here it's new orleans like we never talk about Mm. the new orleans area for baseball and we see how they support the saints right and when we were doing the goats how many times do we talk about alabama and mississippi as being this like deep south hotbed and you're not going to build a team in Montgomery or Birmingham, but New Orleans is a huge city, and I think they could support a team pretty well, too, but we never really talk about New Orleans with baseball. That's an interesting one. Yeah, I don't know. As I have no idea if they're even interested, but Florida gets the teams, and Atlanta gets the teams, but then you jump from there to Texas, and the Deep South is, is rich in baseball tradition. We talked about them all the time when we were talking the GOATs, so where do I think they're going to go? Vegas, it's the team. It's the city that's erupting right now, right? They're getting sports We're teams going more odds. Go to Vegas, yeah. It's the team that's getting. They've gotten an NHL team and an NFL team in the last. Um, was the NHL team in the last five years? Maybe ten for sure, but and they're being well supported because Vegas is growing all the time. USA Today has an article on uh, an ex commissioner uh, Bud Selig weighing in on the uh, changes to the game uh, and uh, his uh, assessment of of things and. Uh, in favor of the changes that have been made. All of them. Uh, and even ones where, I'll, I'll pull up the, the article here, uh, but things that he wasn't for initially uh, that he uh, ended up coming back and, and being for. Uh, was not a fan of the extra inning uh, guy on second base rule uh, initially. He's come around on it. Uh, but I think overall what, what the article summarized was uh, – He's seeing the same thing in baseball that everyone else is, the high strikeouts, low batting average, uh, the not necessarily the most interesting, if we're talking broad-based uh, generics uh, and perceptions, not necessarily the most interesting time period in the game right now. 
uh, and uh, in favor of continuing to look at those things, he was actually giving credit for the forward-thinking nature uh, of what they're trying to do. Ooh, Rob Manfred and forward-thinking. Those are not <laughs> words we use very often. But well, it's Bud Selig, so what do you, what do you, I, what do you expect? If there's... Uh, some of the stuff I said, I've kind of gotten, I wish it would start at first instead of second, but I'm okay, I guess, now with the runner on second, the runner on in extra innings. I, I think it could be tweaked a little bit, but I still want a DH in the National League at this point. Um, I wish they would go to that. Maybe we'll see that next offseason. And the automated strike zone, we're, I can mention that quick here in this section, the automated strike zone, we can see some effects. It has started at single A. At low A, I should say, and low A East, they're averaging four and a half walks per nine innings. Low A West, they're averaging 4.4 walks per nine innings. And then in low A Southeast, which is the only one that gets the automated strike zone, they're averaging six walks per nine innings. And run scoring is up. And that, I'm good with that, right? We want it to be standardized. And if that's how you get more run scoring, good. Make them throw it over the plate. And then we'll get to see some actual hitting. I get so sick and tired of watching umps call what are close pitches balls on a 3-2 count and you walk. Like, force them to swing the bat. And that's how you make this game more interesting. So some things are going to be good going forward. But I don't want, like, don't rest on your laurels, MLB. You need to still keep trying to improve the game but not changing it for the sake of change. Uh, You had an article that you found on the some more under-the-radar uh, acquisitions uh, that were made in the the offseason, moves that are paying off as we look at the uh, qu- just about a quarter way through. Uh, next week, we'll do our, our let's do our first quarter uh, assessments uh, of the, we'll go division by di- division and uh, give assessments of that. But I uh, didn't tell you this either, but I also have, I started doing some draft stuff for the MLB mm-hmm, draft for next go. week yeah. too. So I'm, I haven't watched everybody, but I'll have 10 names next week just to keep your eye on. Okay? I like it. I like it. So I'll mention that. But yes, 10 under the Radar ads paying off big. We've mentioned some of these guys, so I'll go quick. But Cole Irvin of the A's, he went from Philly to the A's this offseason and seven starts, a 329 ERA, a 107 whip. Suddenly he has a 6.2 strikeout to walk ratio, which is top 10 in the major leagues. And he had a 675 career ERA with Philadelphia, but Oakland tends to have good success with these type of players. We already mentioned Nate Lowe. He's still having a very good year with Texas as he got out of Tampa Bay. Anthony DiSclefani, we've mentioned the Giants starting pitchers and how successful they've been. He went from the pitching park that is Cincinnati to the hitting park that is San Francisco, and he has a 240 ERA and a .94 whip. Here's one we haven't talked about yet, I don't think. Tyler Naquin, he finished third of Rookie of the Year voting with Cleveland in 2016, but injuries, 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 and now he's with the Reds, where he's suddenly hitting 278 with a, uh, excuse me, eight home runs already, which is as many as he had for the last few years combined. C.J. Cron, we mentioned he just hit the IL, but he did start a nice start for the Rockies. Matt Harvey, we've mentioned in the past on here, with his late career resurgence in Baltimore. Here's another one we've never mentioned, Tyler Anderson. So here's a guy who got out of San Francisco, but went from San Francisco's pitching park to Pittsburgh's pitching park. And he here's a good Pittsburgh positive. For I had a Pittsburgh positive. A 305 ERA and a 104 whip in 41 innings. And Anderson's doing a good job. He he limits the hard contact. He's not one who's going to light up the radar gun on you, but he doesn't give up a lot of hard hits. I think we're getting soft on Pittsburgh. This week, uh, we're soft on Pittsburgh this week. Every so often it happens. Here's one that another one I can sort of eat a little crow on, and that's the last one. The name is Tyler Chatwood. I don't know where he learned to throw strikes. Maybe Toronto has a coach that's figuring out how to throw strikes, but Robbie Ray and Tyler Chatwood are throwing strikes, and I never doubted the stuff. 
You just got to be effective throwing strikes, and he's doing that. 18 strikeouts to three walks so far this year. Something to keep an eye on. If you have uh, uh, if you have uh, guys that are perpetual uh, walkers uh, that are all of a sudden finding control, what is going on in, in Toronto uh, for that? Well, I'll, I'll start doing some digging to see if there's any articles out there on anything that's been said uh, to this point. Kind of like, again, you have uh, what San Francisco – uh, has been doing with with pitchers over there, so I'm I'm intrigued to see with uh, when you have guys that are that bad at the control, all of a sudden finding control, it makes you start to wonder what's what's going on over there. What's in the water in Toronto? Yeah, they're figuring something out there. Keep it up, guys. We you've been playing well lately, Toronto, and you're getting closer to you're getting closer back to actually going to Toronto. <laughs> And uh, R.J. Anderson's uh, article from uh, CBS.com, uh, Why the Tigers' Rebuild is a Disaster. Uh, again, we, we don't mention teams like this much because, again, they're, they are, by their own plan, development, uh, irrelevant uh, at, the time, at the time being. I was higher on them last year as far as, like, okay, the kids are coming up. You have Casey Mice. You have Matt Manning. Uh, you have... Uh, uh, their first overall pick, Spencer Torkelson, uh, who should be coming up soon. You have big-name players that uh, you're hoping for, uh, but none of that has materialized uh, to this point this year. Uh, Detroit is, uh, they have the worst uh, run differential. They are negative 69. Uh, they have been an absolute train wreck uh, so far uh, for this year, and there doesn't seem to be, despite the big names for prospects, their farm system isn't rated uh, that that well overall. Outside of the big names, there's not much else as far as depth goes. This is a team that has drafted first overall like three or four of the last six years. Uh, in the From the 2018 draft, if I'm remembering the year correct, uh, of all the teams that drafted in the top ten, all but one have had at least a 500 record since then. Their GM is now entering his sixth year uh, at the helm. The farm yeah. system is, is, I said, you have some stuff there, but it's where are we at? And the, the Tigers' rebuild is the is time running short uh, for current uh, management. Probably, it it probably is because I just I don't quite always know what they're trying to do. I. I, right, you said they have the big pitching prospects coming, and Scubal and Mize have been up and have been kind of ineffective so far. And we haven't seen Matt Manning yet, but their hitters, I just they kind of tried to sign some veteran free agents to to be competitive this year, and I admire that. Right, you're 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 not going to be a great team, but you want to at least keep keep the games interesting for your fans. But after a hot start, Wilson Ramos cold way off. Jonathan Scope hitting 212. Willie Castro, who I actually kind of like. I thought he was going to be good, is hitting 202 right now, which is eh. Nico Gudrum not doing much. And their outfield, man, Jacoby Jones at 167. Victor Reyes at 143. And then Miguel Cabrera at DH at 172. Like, you need more, right? You need more out of these guys. If if you're going to try to compete, and like you said, they don't have a whole lot of other options. They brought in Omar Mazzara. I don't know why they're not playing him. That's kind of strange. He's 26. You should at least give him a chance. You give Victory as a chance. I I wish they would completely buy into the rebuild and really tear it down, get rid of some of these guys, and see, like, push Spencer Torkelson. Let's see him next year. And You're not going to see him this year because he didn't get to play in the minors last year, but push it forward, get some of these guys up in a hurry, and speed up your timeline a little bit because – 
He said, at this point, you're stuck in neutral, and that's the worst place to be. We'll take a peek here, but I think of the, as we've already had one GM change uh, this season, uh, if this keeps up, could that actually happen? Again, you have to wonder, like, again, the, the draft isn't far away. We talked about we're going to have coverage on that. Do you trust him, uh, your current uh, GM, to uh, make that pick? Or are you going to make a decision on that beforehand? See, there's there's different things that are coming up that are going to press the timeline on, on what you believe. If he's making the pick, then I don't think you're going to see him go before the end of the of the, the season. Uh, but I think that's the, the next time point to see what will Detroit uh, do. I think the draft is in July this year. It's a little later. So that's why otherwise we'd be talking about it more. But I dove in. I haven't watched a whole lot of actual tape on some of these guys yet, but I – kind of making a compiled list for next week. So took some information from some sources that I really trust and we'll talk about it then. MLB.com uh, did their uh, first peek at the field of dreams uh, uh, stadium this week. There's a nice article up there for those that want to check that out. Two uh, hours from here, man, but I don't know. I'm I don't sure know if the they're going to prices. I'm sure the tickets are high. They were going to be high anyways. And then there's this thing called COVID that really threw everything into a whack. So I, I don't know what the prices are looking I mean, like. My dad is on a like a lottery list or something for the tickets too. So if there's another, I won't. Maybe not year one. I do want to see an actual major league game there because that just it have you pulls ever been everything. There? I have not. See, uh, we, we so could I go want, for a non-game. We could just go down there and throw balls in the outfield and stuff. That that would be fun. Yeah, I, I'm I would, sure my I dad would be up for it. We can even bring. I bet you Amanda would even enjoy that very much. So I know that yeah. one that she'd be up for as uh, as well. Road trip. So that'll be a summer 2021 road trip. We may not go to the game, but if you were interested in that, August 12th is the the one that's coming up. There, It will be fun to, to see. Who is it? Does you know? It was going to be the Indians and the Yankees last I remember, and I think they said that they wanted to move Chicago, one of the Chicago teams in there, so I'm not sure who it's going to be this year. I'm uh, trying to get to... Oh, sorry. I put you on the spot. That's not good. For some reason, that's they, not cool, I'm not man. pulling up the teams the way I want. White Sox and Yankees. That's going to be a good game, actually. And a small park like that, that could be uh, Dunedin or Coors, e- Coors East North and Dunedin Just North because those are the uh, massive hitting parks Dim- we got right now. Dimensions uh, there. Uh, so we'll see what, what happens here. Although but, it gets uh, kind of humid in the in, in yeah. Iowa in August. Yeah. So if the hu- humidity is up around here, the ball doesn't exactly carry too well. So we'll see. Interesting times. I think that's the only must-see TV for me outside of watching my own my own team. There's some different matchups that I like to watch, but as far as will I turn that on to see that game? Absolutely. Yeah, I always liked it when they played at the College World Series stadiums in the summertime. So I don't think they're doing that this year. I blame COVID again. <laughs> so those are our hot button issues. Is there any one that I'm? Uh, I don't have any. I have the the strike one of the statistics. The advanced statistics. So we're going to go to uh, Hot on the Trail. uh, And uh, as we uh, dive into, you've heard us mention these numbers uh, before on the podcast. We talk about uh, 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 wins above replacement. We talk about WRC+. plus. We talk about uh, WOBA. Uh, There's all sorts of of things that we throw out there as part of the advanced stats uh, repertoire. uh, Way in which it used to be, if you'd be looking on the back of a baseball card on the bubblegum pack uh, within it, you you have the triple slash line, right? That's what we all grew up with, the triple slash line, the batting average, the on-base percentage, the slugging percentage. As far as how do you evaluate how good is a player and how well do they contribute to the wins of their of their team? 
advanced stats has changed what we use to get a more accurate picture uh, of that. So a lot of these numbers are there. I can at least begin by asking the obvious question, War, what is it good for? Sure, we'd start with War. So that's a league-adjusted stat. And by league-adjusted, it means you can technically use it to judge players from 1920 against players from today because it has been judged and adjusted to due to the hitting environment and the different parks then. So that is the most accurate recommend where it, that's the most accurate stat we have that also judges defense and war officially just stands for wins above replacement player replacement player being your typical quad a player who can, you can sign plug and play without actively hurting your roster. Another way to look at that is a Jag, just a guy. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. so for batters, war includes batting base running and fielding. For pitching, a war includes FIP, which we'll mention in a minute here. Park factor, which is so, like I just mentioned, Dunedin is a very small hitting park right now for the Toronto Blue Jays, or Coors is a very easy hitting park, but Pittsburgh is not. So that it takes that into account and innings pitched. And it's the only all encompassing statistic that includes defense that we reference. Two war is usually an average player, which you should think, well, what, what isn't zero war? But you can actually go negative in it. So if you're actively hurting your team, you're going to run a. Z- a negative war. So two wars considered average four war for a year is an all-star and more than six. You're going to, you're likely to be MVP quality. That's Mike Trout when he's on and you can go negative, which means that you'd be better off to be replaced by a triple a player. So four, which one next should we cover? Let's do Babbitt because it's the one I think we reference a lot. So this is the one that my dad was mad that we didn't, that I didn't tell him what it means. So, and that's why he yelled at me and told me we need to do this which is fine. Good job, Dad. Batting average on balls in play. So every time you hit the ball, you have a chance to get a hit. But it doesn't count home runs because that's not actually in play. That's over the wall. It does not count strikeouts because the ball's not in play or walks or hit by pitches. So roughly three out of ten balls that you hit should fall for a hit. Now, Fangrass will say that the three things that affect this are defense, meaning I can shift a lefty, right? If, If I know that someone's going to pull it, and you're left-handed, you can make the shift and adjust for that, and that will lower a chance for a BABIP hit. And luck, how many times do you see a guy line out to third, and it's not a hit, but then the next guy comes up and bloops one in between. That's a hit. So that's just lucky. And then talent level. So Freddie Freeman is not fast. Because you can see some players run BABIPs that are fast because they can hit it on the ground and run it out. But Freddie Freeman's lowest BABIP is 318, and he's had his highest 371. Well, why is that? Because he's a line drive machine, right? So... Generally, we think of it as about 300 as, as league average. Now, this year, it's much lower than that because it's the year of the pitcher. But generally, when you hit the ball three out of 10 times, it's roughly a hit. And so to, to clarify that, again, we're not, again, when you t- count out like home runs and, and strikeouts, what we're saying is of any ball that actually has contact that's going essentially on the ground, if, if you will, but the uh, any contact from a hit, so not three, not three, at bats out of 10, which would give you like a 300 batting average. What we're talking about is from the, the contact that is made, there's a likelihood of, again, three out of those 10 uh, becoming hits, which is what gives you a 300 BABIP. Nailed it. Uh, let's go to Woba. So that's weighted on base average. And this is a catch-all offensive statistic. It doesn't include any defense. So I could go into the amazing offensive formula if you really want to know it, you should just go to Fangraphs. They have some amazing glossaries and libraries for the statistical terms if you want to learn more. But I also don't want to confuse everybody by reading you the formula, and it would include myself. But what it says is not all hits are created equal. 
and neither is getting on base always equal. So if I get on base with a double, it's more valuable to my team than if I get on base with a walk because I'm one base further along. And that's what WOBA includes. It it has a st- very statistical, mul- it's a multiplication problem basically that accounts for how a triple is much more valuable to your team than a walk. And that's how they come up with WOBA. And every year the formula is rewritten to calculate WOBA. So this year, I don't know the multiplication. I don't have it up in front of me, but it would have been different than last year because hitting is harder this year so far. And so it's very similar to OPS, which is on-base plus slugging, but that doesn't take into account the weighted importance of the extra base hit and how it helps you score one's runs to win games. So 320 is pretty average. If you can get it over 400, that's amazing. If you're below 300, that's pretty poor. How does that now, if we talk about WOBA, now we should talk about uh, the other W1, WRC+. So Bill James is considered the father of sabermetrics, and he made the statistics runs created to show the stat value of a player. And since then, Tom Tango, who was made the original calculation for WOBA, and he's made some more statistical adjustments, he updated the runs created with WRC+, which is weighted runs created plus. And the difference is that this one is park adjusted again, so and league adjusted. So WOBA, I can't judge, I can judge players this year against themselves, but I can't judge a player's WOBA in 2020 versus a hitter in the steroids era because it's not league adjusted, whereas runs created plus is. So a player who has like a 400 WOBA at Coors, it's much easier than a 400 WOBA at PNC Park because the park is much bigger, which that would be adjusted for in one in runs created plus. So 100 is league average. That's why it's league adjusted. So if you're 100, you're a basically a league average hitter. If you're over 150, that's excellent. That, then you're Mike Trout, you're Fernando Tatis. If you're lower than 75, that's that's pretty rough. So of these offensive statistics, we don't have any more that we're covering today, is there? Nope. That's the only one I got. So for offense, which one do you like the most and why when you are measuring the success of a, of a player? Or if you'd be looking at, now obviously there's different, uh, this isn't fair when I say talking fantasy, but uh, uh, because there's different uh, categories you're trying to hit. But which one of these would you weigh the most as far as uh, a guy's offensive potential? I look at Wobo the most, I think, because it takes into account not only getting on base, which every time you're on base, you have a chance to score a run, right? And that's a, that is a statistical fantasy category. And the higher Wobas mean that you're getting on base with extra base hits. And so once again, you're further along, you're more likely to drive in a run. That one I use the most, I'd say, of, the, of those four. I, I use WRC plus two, but that's more when I'm doing research into past versus present. Like when we were doing a lot of the ghost stuff, mm-hmm. I looked at WRC plus a lot. I can see how uh, Wobo would matter more from like a fantasy standpoint because uh, it's going to hit more of the categories. Uh, for me, when I'm looking at free agent evaluations or when I see the Rays signing a player, that's the, that's the first one that I go to because I'm trying to see what are they seeing that maybe someone else isn't or what's the upside that they're looking at. Uh, and... Uh, uh, and and guys, guys that are in, in slumps, uh, like you look at overall, what is their their WRC plus, and say, okay, there's numbers that will line up eventually, or you look for positive regression. And I said, WAR includes defense. So if, yep. if you're talking about players like as a whole, that's still I think the best all encompassing stat that baseball yep. has to offer. Um, that but. has replaced as the as the number one uh, stat that is looked at around league circles, and is starting to become more familiar, which is, and more. Uh, in, in fan circles, which is why we have this tutorial that we're That's doing right, right here. So let's so, me do some pitching ones. Yeah. Okay. So FIP, we mentioned, we reference FIP sometimes. So ERA is 
basically a pitcher gives up four earned runs in nine innings, his ERA that day is four, right? Now, FIP stands for balls or fielding independent percentage. So it's the league average results on balls in play. So it's kind of like BABIP in reverse. So a pitcher can control four things, according to FIP. You can control the walks you give up, right? You don't want to give up walks. You can control strikeouts because you can strike out a guy by yourself. Well, the catcher helps, right? But you can strike it out, hit by pitches, and you can limit home runs. But once the ball gets hit, defense it's, comes it's up play. to the defense again and the shifting and the luck factor. So it's the opposite. So ERA depends on luck, right? I can give up nine hard – sorry, luck, defense, and sequencing. So – I can give up nine hard hit balls, but they can all be outs, right? Defense can adjust for that. And sequencing, I can give up nine sol- singles, one in each inning, and I can get out of the entire game without giving up an earned run. Or I can give up nine consecutive singles, and I've given up you know six earned runs. So that's sequencing. And FIP tries to take all that out and just focuses on what the pitcher can control. The easiest way to convert across because it looks and reads just like ERA. This is the easiest stat because – if I see an ERA of four, I can say, well, that guy gave up four and runs in nine innings. But if his FIP was 306 or whatever, he got a little unlucky. Now, maybe the sequencing was off. Maybe the defense was off. But FIP is the easiest one as far as reading a advanced stat. Now, there's FIP and then there's XFIP. It's the so- same as FIP, except that it... It, does, it takes out how many home runs a pitcher should have allowed as opposed to what they did allow. So... Most of the time, fly balls leave the park at about a 10% rate. We've talked about this before. Home run to fly ball rate I mentioned earlier. Blake's now has about a 20. So that's unlucky. It's too high. And so your XFIP will be reduced in that case because it basically it sets a statistic every year and it adjusts as the season goes along with how many home runs you should allow and based on the league rate. If you remember a few years ago, we mentioned, I think it was one of the first podcasts we did last year where I said Corbin Burns two years ago had a horrendous Horrendous season because he gave up way too many home runs. Well, XFIP would have adjusted for that, and you give up home runs, right? And sometimes, in some parks even, they can leave the yard, and in some parks they won't just because baseball has different dimensions, which is what's great about the sport, right? We all love that part about it, at least I do, and XFIP takes that out. Uh, what's intriguing about those those numbers is it's a way for a fan to evaluate. If if my team, let's say, is a very good uh, has very good defense, uh, when you're looking at, at free agents, for example, which one would be a great fit here? Who's a, who's a team uh, who may, his ERA is bad, uh, but his FIP or XFIP is good? So you would think that with, with our team or with this, if we have a, a ballpark that uh, keeps the ball in versus letting it fly, uh, here's a guy that would be a better fit here. And that's what teams essentially evaluate as they're doing their free agent uh, evaluations as well. That's probably what the Giants did a lot of when they signed Alex mm-hmm. Wood and Dee mm-hmm. Sclafani, and they said, look, I'm sure I could. I don't have Di Scalfani up in front of me, but I'm sure he had a very high ERA last year. I know he did, and he had a very high, low FIP and XFIP because Cincinnati is very small, and we've mentioned this before. San Francisco is very big, and it's very humid there, so balls don't fly out as well. So they know what they have, right? Teams take advantage of these extra statistics and read into what they have and make shrewd, shrewd moves. And now, what's intriguing is it's not just while teams definitely have their own. Uh, their own and larger advanced stat numbers and things they use with their their research and their R and D departments with with all of this. Uh, sure the Rockies Ugo quit. And there is that too. Uh, but the what this is nice is it allows uh, fans to get a better read on this to have a better understanding of players of the game 
and of also like why you can be excited about a guy that's being signed who has an ERA of five. Why should you still be excited for him? So it broadens the conversation. It gives a deeper conversation to the game. It allows you to know more, have better knowledge of what's going on to have a uh, to have that type of uh, uh, converse. Yeah, and someday we'll do another one where I'll talk about some of the Statcast data and how you can hear things like hard hit rate and pull rate, but. Today we're going to stick to these. And, of course, the the big one that's uh, taking over baseball in the last uh, year and a half, two years, launch angle uh, launch is angle. also in there as well, which is uh, coming into play with the, the home run and, and strikeout uh, issues that are there. So this is uh, consider this your advanced stat 101. We'll have another one with a 201 uh, coming up uh, uh, later on in the season. Let's jump into your... Uh, fantasy team as we continue to track everything taking place. Uh, there has been, uh, again, this week you sent me the uh, the picture of showing uh, second place uh, happened uh, earlier in the week uh, and also that there has been, there was a, uh, a considerable gap between the person who was in first and then the rest of the of the lineup. Well, there's even been a first place change, not with you yet. No, uh, I... but uh, but a first place change has taken place, and now that gap has shortened to where it's all within striking distance. Yeah, David Mendelson from the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I actually, listen to that one, and he's in first right now. But yes, it was a big jump between first and second, but now between first and eighth is down to fourteen points, separates first and eighth. And I've been spending most of the week between second and fifth. I'm currently in sixth place at 94 points. So right in there, if I had just two more points, I'd be in third again. So that tells you how tight this really is. I obviously losing Corey Seager is going to be a substantial loss. I have not had to deal. I had Hyunjin Ryu hit the IL for 10 days, but Corey Seager is going to be the first major loss I have to deal with here. How does, uh, uh, when you're looking at a fantasy team like like this, and again, this is not a, uh, a league where trades take place, correct? No so, trades allowed. So this is... Uh, for that type of challenge, when you lose a key player off your team, how do you go about trying to replace that or at least tread water until they return? Well, I, what I'm hoping is that they're going to move. I have Gavin Lux, so I'm hoping they're going to move Gavin Lux to shortstop, and in 10 days I will have the opportunity to put Gavin Lux at shortstop because as I'm sitting here, I look to see who I got in free agency. I had to make a move, right? I didn't have a second shortstop, and you can't. I'm not going to eat an empty slot, so... Michael Franco has been okay. He's been hitting right around the Mendoza line, hitting home runs. But at third, I have Evan Longoria has been pretty good and Josh Donaldson and Carlos Santana. So I didn't really need Michael Franco. So I had to add Jose Iglesias. He's with the Angels. He's playing every day. And sir, it's it's not Corey Seager. I wasn't going to replace Corey Seager. But you just have to find you have to find games, right? Games are going to be key. And you just got to try and tread water, and that's not going to be an easy one. But we'll see. As for pitching, I got I had to make a move. I had to make I took a chance on your buddy Rich Hill. So the he's been pitching very good for the Rays this week, and so I put down. Let's see if I got him or not. I bid sixteen dollars, and I said I I love Blake Trinan. I think Blake Trinan could be good, but I wanted to see a chance on Rich Hill. I put sixteen dollars. The next highest bid was thirteen, so it's close one. But I got Rich Hill, and I'm. I think they play the Baltimore this week, don't they? Yes. Uh, he will be in my lineup against Baltimore, even though Baltimore is okay on offense. And and the, the yeah. challenge on a guy like Rich Hill is he is uh, high variance. Uh, you can see him do very well. Like he's been throwing uh, like six shutout innings uh, in, in his starts. He has been uh, on very much on a heater. 
Nice. Uh, we, we didn't uh, mention, mention him, him with no. this, but he has uh, oldie but still a goodie uh, over the last month. Here's last four starts have been very, very good. Uh, so there's a chance for uh, additional numbers and, and to steal some W's uh, as you look for for that. Uh, yeah. I would say this. I have to tread water. I would say I don't think we'll probably get him back in a month, even though Dave Roberts is hopeful for a month. If I can tread water for six weeks and I could possibly get Corey Seager and Luis Severino back into my starting team, that's that's how I make this up is Luis Severino. I don't think he's going to come back and be himself. Like, he's amazing. But even if I got a, a – who's to say they don't use him as like a follower, right? Three, four innings in the middle instead of – building up right away and then he can pick up some wins and strike some guys out and Corey Seager comes back and is just good enough as he's been. Uh, that's, that's how I win this. And otherwise, hopefully I can just stay towards the top. Are there any young players that uh, you start looking at prospects again, if you didn't draft them to begin with, uh, they're not available until they actually come up and then it is a free for all bid. Is there and like, so far you've always said throughout the year, you take a measured approach uh, to, to free agents overall. Is there anyone that you would be circling on a name to say, here's one I would go considerably aggressive on to try to get? Obviously, it would be a high competition with things. Now, again, if people spend a bunch of their money early, they're going to run out on uh, something like that. Is there an advantage with uh, having a cash flow left uh, to go after a guy, and is there someone that you would? So I have $705 left, which puts me, I think, fifth in the league in money left there's a couple there's one player who has not spent a dollar yet there's some guys who spent five there's a guy who's got 824 a 725 and then me I was look obviously Jared Kelnick is rostered right I was gonna draft I was I would have dropped 400 on Jared Kelnick but he's owned and Wander Franco is owned Logan Gilbert was owned Vidal Ruhan is not if he gets the call for the raise with the potential for the stolen bases there I would be willing to drop a substantial amount of money on Vidal Ruhan I'm trying to think of who's another one that might not be rostered. Um, uh, I was trying to think of like Jaron Duran of the Red Sox. Mm. If he got the call, he's possibly the center fielder. What I don't want to do. So Joe Adele is here, right? Joe Adele is here because someone drafted him and dropped him. And if Joe Adele got the call, his strikeout rate is terrifying, right? Yes. That's what's always a problem. But could Joe Adele get it all together and become Byron Buxton? Maybe like Byron Buxton's strikeout rate is scary too. And something like that. So would I be willing if Joe Adele suddenly got the call right now? I can't afford to hold another guy who's not getting me anything. That's the problem. If, if I had suddenly unbelievable health, would I have dropped a few dollars to put Joe Adele on my bench? Yep. But with the injuries that you got right now, it's there's seven bench spots. Two of them are currently held up by guys that are hurt for, for me. So I don't have a whole lot of flexibility on this roster. So I'd be willing to drop it for the right guys, but not just any prospect. Well, we'll continue to keep an eye on that as we uh, uh, move forward here, and we'll see if there's any more second place, et cetera, uh, uh, messages that come my way this week and right. uh, see if uh, Rich Hill continues his heater to uh, uh, pad some of those stats. I just put him in my lineup, so he better not let me down against Baltimore here. We'll see. With that, uh, we will be uh, back next week as we, uh, draft. as we talk MLB draft, as we... I I do our quarter of the season evaluation of, of Major League Baseball. 